This episode of The Jake is brought to you by MVI Home Care. Our primary concern is your health and well-being. MVI is built on integrity, respect, communication, confidentiality, and teamwork. We are committed to providing comprehensive, high-quality home health, hospice, and infusion therapy services in a safe, responsible, and cost-effective manner. Our goals and yours are the same. Your care and well-being is our primary focus. And welcome back to episode 25 of The Jake, the Miss You episode, the Cleveland Indians are out of the ALDS. They lost in Game 5 in a year where they were most likely the best team in the, in the sport. Really wasn't much to it. They were a 102 win team during the regular season. One behind the Dodgers were playing excellent baseball and just came into the playoffs and didn't play too well. Game one was 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 good. They played well. Bauer was awesome to start. And uh, and they had a couple of clutch hits. Not a lot, but enough. It was kind of just like the typical Indians game this year where they got their lead, pitched great, bullpen came in, didn't let their best hitters beat them, and that was it. It was simple. And, and then from there, it was anything but you know they had Kluber go game two and he wasn't himself they had Kluber go game five and he wasn't himself and we learned that later he was like injured but you know whatever and in game three Carrasco pitched and was awesome but we lost a one nothing game game two was the awesome comeback game so you know you can kind of cancel those out because they're both one run games and yeah, I mean, you all saw it. You all saw what happened. The Indians weren't themselves. This just wasn't the same team. And I know, like, I don't, I'm not taking away credit from the Yankees, even though I really want to, and I'm so tired of every Yankee narrative going on right now. I'm not taking away. They were the better team this week, right? Like, the Indians were the better team last six months. The Yankees were the better team this week, and they won. And it wasn't because of Aaron Judge, who, you know, will, will mo- most likely be – one of the top two MVP candidates, maybe the winner. But, I mean, you know, he had 16 strikeouts in five games, setting a record. I mean, he was maybe the least valuable player in that series next to Kluber or Jose Ramirez. But it wasn't because of him. It was because they just, every time the Indians made a mistake, the Yankees made them pay for it. It's so annoying. Like, they Indians played great defense. All year long. They're one of the best defensive teams. They had guys starting because of their defense. Like Gio Urshela was at third base only because he's a good defender. And he had two errors in one game. In the implosion game four. It, it's it's just... They just weren't themselves. I know a lot of Yankee fans... And, and I don't... I'm going to like criticize a lot of Yankee fans. And that's going to happen because I'm bitter and I'm angry. And I've dealt with them my entire life. But I'm not trying to generalize every Yankee fan. I know a lot who haven't come after me, haven't rubbed it in, 
who know that the Indians were the better team this year and were like, you know what? The Indians were a great fucking team. Yankees won a good series, and that was that. We don't need to rub it in. But there are some Yankee fans who are so fucking annoying, and that's that's what's killing me right now. The narrative of them being down and out and no one believes them is, is probably the worst part, though, because these were the same assholes that I grew up with who talked so much shit and how their team was the best. I mean, the, and, and like that's what they've always been. They've always been the hated, you know, billion dollar Yankees who have all the money in the world, like the evil empire. That's their nickname is the evil empire. They shouldn't have to get this like narrative of like the down and out. No one believes in us story. Like that's that's the worst part. That's the Cleveland side of things. We are the team that no one believes in. And the fact that the roles were reversed this year, that it was the big bad Indians versus the underdog Yankees, like that's infuriating. That fucking pisses me off. Because those fans, the ones that were like throwing shit in my face my entire life, they're the same ones that were 27 rings, 27 rings. You don't get underdog story and 27 rings in the same argument. You just can't have that. Like it's just, it's it's crippling as a sports fan. It is absolutely crippling. So that was really like just so annoying. Oh, and they, they complain about the strike zone, and yet two games later, you look and see CC Sabathia has an eight-foot strike zone. A strike zone so wide it doesn't fit on TVs made before 2005. Like, this is... It, it, complain about that is insane. And I never complain about the strike zone because I just say, look, as long as it's consistent between both teams and each game, it's consistent. Like, okay, he's calling him wide, calling him low, whatever it is, just make it the same the whole game. And... I felt like both teams kind of got hurt at different times for the strike zone. So don't come crying to me with your fucking strike zone. Oh, man. And they wrote them off. That's the problem. Yankee fans even wrote their own team off. They went into the playoffs and were like, you know what? We weren't even supposed to be here this year. This is amazing. Like, they're going to be so good next year. I'm like, fuck you. You're in the playoffs, all right? When you are in the playoffs... You play to win the World Series, the Super Bowl, the championship, whatever you are in. If you are there, you play to win because you never know when you're going to get back there. All right? So, like, every time my team is in the playoffs, I look at what's going to have to happen for us to win it all and for me to finally be happy. Because you don't always get these opportunities. As a Cleveland sports fan, I know that it's like, look, strike while the iron's hot. And for people to come at me and be like, Oh, well, you know, we're not even supposed to be here. Fuck you. Fuck you for thinking, oh, it's it's not our year. It's not that. You play to win, especially in, in baseball when any it's just make the playoffs. Make the playoffs and anyone can win the World Series. We are seeing that right now because two of the best teams these this year lost in the first round to teams that weren't as good as them. The Nationals lost to the Cubs. who The Nationals are better than the Cubs. The Cubs just beat them. And the Yankees beat the Indians. Indians were a better team. They just didn't play better this week. Yankees are going to win the World Series this year. Like, that's just going to happen. It's going to be Yankees over Cubs in the World Series. I'm going to pull my hair out. It's going to be so bad when I go to Tom's wedding and I see every Yankee fan I've ever known. And it's going to be November 11th. It'll be a week after they celebrate during the parade and stuff. It'll be god-awful. Oh, God. I'm not trying to rant. I know there's a lot of like respectful fans out there. I actually a couple contacted me. I contacted them, trying not to like start fights. But there are so many idiot douchebag fans who are like, 
oh, you know, I'm writing them off. We're not going to win this. This is over. Like, you know, Indians are too good this year. Whatever. Next year is our year. And they're, like, bowing out of the fight. It's like, put your guns up. Because then they talk shit afterwards. And it's like, where did that shit come from before? You you pussied out before the playoffs even started. Then you want to talk shit when your team finally beats my team? Like, I'm consistent. I'm not cocky. I'm confident in my teams when they're good. This is maybe the best team I've ever rooted for, period. Like, th- this was th- this team was that good this year. And unfortunately, nobody was paying attention to them until they won 20 straight games. And then by the time they won 21 and 22, people watched those games. Everyone hated them. Everyone was talking about them, though. And, like, you know, a lot of the Barstool guys didn't like them, but they were finally paying attention to them. They finally knew what makes the Indians good. Uh, the fact that they have five really, like, pretty good starters, three being all-stars, two being Cy Young candidates. Okay, so that's a good start. Uh, they have five all-stars on the team, including uh, their the best reliever that's not even their closer. Their closer is great. Their middle relief is great. Their lineup is deep as hell. They had balance everywhere. They have superstars at the infield positions, 24 and 23 years old. The Ascendians team was that good. They're the best team I've ever rooted for. And that includes this run of Cavs teams or the post-Miami LeBron years or the pre-Miami LeBron years when they won back-to-back 60-win seasons. Like This Indians team was probably the best team I've ever rooted for. And they just fell flat on our face in choking fashion. It's another part that fucking hurts about this. Now the Indians are known, or Cleveland is known as chokes. It's like, all right, well, the Indians just, uh, their last two playoff series, they had two game leads and choked them away. You know, the first one in the World Series was kind of excusable because they were so hurt and so banged up and everyone had pitched so much that it's like kind of understandable because it wasn't as much as they choked, more so they just ran out of steam. This time they choked. Like, this is what that was. And I know the you know the Yankees were good, but the Yankees took advantage of bad plays. How many of those runs the Yankees had were unearned, right? Like, there were, there were seven errors in the last two games by the Indians, by one of the best defensive teams. They had, what, they had like 60 all year, and they had seven in the last two games? It's insane. How can you win with seven errors in two games? How can you win when you don't when you go to Yankee Stadium and score three runs in two games? You go to Yankee Stadium to get runs, not to not get runs. Oh god, it's it's just, it just piles on. And and I oh god, it's just it's just bad. There's no way around it other than it's bad. It hurts, it sucks. I'm a really good Cleveland sports fan. I fucking put everything out there. I always pick my teams to win it all. Like every every preseason, I pick the Browns to win the AFC North because I'm an idiot. Not because I think they will, but because that's just who I am. I pick my teams. So coming into this, everyone thought I was cocky because I was picking the Indians to win the World Series. It's just what I believed. I thought this was a special team. This was a special team. They just choked. And that really fucking hurts because game, this could have gone any other way. Yankees are looking at this saying, well, we outplayed you in four out of five games. You could say that. You could say that they should have won game two. Or the Indians can say, well, we should have swept you. Because you robbed a two-run homer off of Francisco Lindor. If if your fucking right fielder ain't like a giant, or if it's like a foot in either direction, he's not catching that. Right? 
Like, it had to go perfectly for him to catch that ball. And not to mention, it was still just a one nothing game. Greg Bird turned on a bad pitch by Andrew Miller, who, like, let's face it, he's not the same either. Like, from last year's playoffs and early this season when he had a .4 ERA to after the injury, it's like, no, not the same pitcher. I don't care what you say. Yankees made the Indians pay for their mistakes. They didn't just straight out beat the Indians. It, they took advantage of the Indians' mistakes. That's what happened. Um, they're often... Uh, and, and is it just me, or do the Yankees check swing more than any fucking team I've ever seen? Oh my god, the amount of check swings where they had to go down to the umpire at first or third and see if they swung. And it's like, I always grew up knowing... If you check your swing, it's a strike anyway. Like, you can't be angry if they call a strike on a check swing because you started your swing. And it just comes down to the umpire being how lenient. How lenient does he want to be? If it's ever close, it's a swing. And there were some that, like, the moment it was, what, the the check swing that would have been strike three to Aaron Hicks and the very next pitch was, like, an RBI single, I was like, all right, this is it. Like, Like, we can't win this series because everything is just coming up Yankee. And I'm not complaining about the calling. I'm just saying, like, that's just how it goes sometimes. Sometimes things just come up your way. In the 22-game win streak, everything was just falling the Indians' ways. They scored early. It was a different guy every night. They had great pitching performances, and they just never were behind. And in this series, outside of Game 1, they were in down the entire series. They held a lead in Game 1, for most of Game 1, took the lead to end the game two, and then just never saw a lead again. And that was, I think, their biggest problem, is they never played from behind. And when they play from behind, you see guys reaching, you see guys chasing, and trying too hard. When they aren't playing good baseball, they just try to get that one pitch and turn on that one home run. And it just didn't happen. Yankees were the better team this week, and it fucking sucks. Because now they're going to win the World Series. Ugh, it's garbage. And it's just, you know, this is the one sport. This in football, because, like, basketball, when you make the playoffs, you know there are three or four teams that can win it all, right? There are 16 teams that make the playoffs. You can immediately write off 10, 11, 12 teams, right? The NBA playoffs last year started, and you're like, <laughs> like, everyone was like 75% sure that it was just going to be like, 75% of the people were like, all right, Warriors. Maybe even more. Maybe, like, 90% of the people were like, Warriors. And the other 10% were Cavaliers. Maybe the Spurs. Maybe the Rockets. But no one saw the Celtics winning last year. No one saw the Clippers. Or, no, it's just, it's, it's four teams, tops, every year, have a chance to win in the NBA. In football, all you have to do is make the playoffs. Get that wild card, because every year... There's a wild card in the championship game. It just, it, like, I get that feeling every year. Or someone that played in that opening game. You crawled into the playoffs at 9-7 and seven winning the NFC East because everyone just beat each other up. And yet the Giants make it to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. It's kind of how it goes in football. Just make it to the playoffs, be hot, be healthy, and you have a chance to win. And baseball is the same. Just be hot. And it's not just pitching. It's not just hitting. It's it, it could be anything because it's always been about, oh, are you pitching well in, in, in October? You're going to make this, the World Series. It's like, well, 
Or if you just have a deep fucking lineup like the Yankees, where if you make a mistake against their eight hitter, Aaron Hicks is going to hit you for a double off the wall. It's like, yeah, that's the fucking problem. These lineups are so deep now. You see that with the Cubs, the Indians, the Yankees. You see it with the Red Sox have a pretty deep lineup, but they just don't do shit when it comes to the playoffs now. The Astros have a deep fucking lineup, too. That that lineup, the game tonight's going to be fun to watch, that Astros-Yankees. But too bad I won't be watching it because I can't fucking put myself through that. I live in Jersey. I'm surrounded by these Yankee fans. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm proud to wear all my Indians gear. I'm going to wear my Indians hat tonight, and I'll be showing them off, and I'll talk, and I'll get shit talked to me. And I'll be like, that's fine, whatever. I support my team. They were the best team in baseball this year. And they failed in the playoffs. God, this fucking sucks. The Yankees getting this whole no, n- nobody believed in us whole thing. Fuck you. The only people that counted you guys out were your own fans. Like, that was it. The only people that counted out the Yankees were Yankee fans and or national media. Now they like playing this nobody believed in the Yankees garbage. Holy shit, I want to, oh my god, that is awful. That is peak garbage. I can't stand that. Nobody believed in the Yankees. It's like, no, 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 no. Everyone believed that they're young and that the best is yet to come for them. But the only people that counted them out were the Yankee fans that were ready to move on the ang- because they're angry about the Jets not tanking or the Giants being 0-5. They're like pissed off because of that. No, they, the only people counting them out were their own fans. And now the national media is just fucking running with that. God, that sucks. And then those same people are coming out of the woodshed yelling 27 rings. And then if they lose, when they're talking all this shit, they lose, they either use, oh, 27 rings, bro. Or it's, oh, we're not even supposed to be here, bro. Enough with the fucking excuses. Like, just be like, yeah, you know what? If you lose, own it and be like, yeah, we weren't good enough this year. And and it's, it's unfortunate because I'm like picking on the all the fans when in reality it's just the majority of the fans I'm yelling at. Because... There used to be a pretty knowledgeable group of Yankee fans. It wasn't always this, you know, typical Italian Guido with the open jersey and the Yankee cap. Or if if not wearing a Yankee cap, he's got like the gel in the hair with like the gold chain just yelling around. I, KFC put this perfectly and everyone was tweeting at, at him. Oh, it was, it was beautiful because every time they saw someone, it was a screenshot sent to him immediately and he was just like, he was hating on them, which I loved. I didn't like that he was rooting for our team because he's a classic mush, but I appreciated the anti-Yankeeism for the week. But but if you saw all these guys, like, yeah, those are the ones that I'm yelling at. Those guys or the uneducated ones that just wear the hat for the rings and for the championships and don't exactly know anything what's going on. They don't know who they're playing or what actually it takes to go into it. Oh, who the hell is Jose Ramirez? Like, well, if you don't know who the number three hitter is on the other team, who is the starting third baseman in the All-Star game, like, I can't talk to you. Like, I can't, I'm on an, I'm, I'm above that level of sports knowledge that I can't have like a sophisticated, like, sophisticated conversation with you if you're just going to talk shit and not know 
anything about the other team. You hear that Kluber's good, and then yet, like, everyone's calling him a punk. It's like, Corey Kluber, he says two words all season. He's like the nicest guy in the world, yet you're calling him a punk? The hate on the Indians. Like, I understand it for Jose Ramirez because he fires back a lot, and he always has this, like, scowl on his face. And he's young, and he doesn't even speak English. So, like, I kind of get the hate on him. And when he didn't do well, it's like, all right, well, you know what? He he fucking sucked this series, so yeah. And I hate that I... I get the hate on Bauer because I didn't even like him early on. He's grown up a little bit, but everyone likes to point out the negatives of him a lot, and it's hard to defend those. Like, it's a long season. He has one or two moments a year that make you, like, that everyone circles, and that's what the national media gets a hold of, even though you see him in and out every day, and he's saying all the right things, and he looks like a pretty good kid. But, you know, I... I and get that. And then Edwin Canacion kind of feels like that hired gun. You know, you bring in guys like him, Nelson Cruz, Mike Napoli, whoever it may be, to just, you know, the, the Yankees have Matt Holiday, even though they didn't play him. But like every team always has those like hired guns, those guys that come in on a one or two year contract, and it's like, let's just beat the shit out of the ball, put him in our lineup. So, you know, Edwin Encarnacion, maybe if you don't believe him being like a, a long term Indian because he signed a three year deal. Whatever, but I kind of, I kind of get where people are coming there. Oh, it's frustrating. It's just, it's just frustrating. And this was a really bad week for Cleveland too. Like, not only is, you know, this whole, the whole like collapse against the Yankees, seeing all these spoiled Yankee fans who I've dealt with my entire life, like, be really happy. And it's like some of them I like, and and I, I, you know, I don't mind them as people, but it's like, boy. It's just, uh, it surrounds, it's surrounding you. So that sucked. They get this whole underdog card. They already have their out plan, their escape plan for when they lose or they win. Just, there's nothing at risk for them, which sucks because it's like, if you're going to talk shit, you have to have something at risk, right? Like you can't go to like a horse track and talk shit about a horse and be like, oh yeah, you guys don't know anything. It's like, well, do you know anything? He's like, no, I don't know anything either. Then you can't talk shit. Can't talk shit about the NBA and how bad it is, and, and and still watch it and then be like, "Well, who's your favorite team?" It's like, "Oh no, I don't have a favorite team. I just talk shit about your favorite teams." It's like, "Well, fuck you, man." Impenetrable defense. That's that's all it is. But it was a bad week for Cleveland. I mean, nobody pays attention to the Browns, right? Everyone just assumes they're bad, and then. You know, they go own five. They lose to bad teams. They just had the easiest stretch of the season with the Bengals, the Colts, and the Jets. And they lost all three games. Making me believe that 1-15, 0-16 is entirely possible again. Even though this team is so much better than last year's team. But they just went through the portion of the schedule with the wins on it. And they didn't get them. And Deshaun Kaiser got benched. Something that a lot of people hated seeing because it's like, well... He's young, and Kevin Hogan gives us a better chance to win. Well, if that's the case, then why wasn't he starting before? It's because we were willing to deal with the bumps and the bruises that go along with a rookie quarterback if he shows some promise. Well, now we're 0-5, and the bumps and the bruises are a little bit harder, and we we bench him. And now these people that don't give the Browns uh, the light of day, and I'm not picking on him, but like Matt Miller spent like the last three days just ripping the shit out of the Browns, it's like, look, they're rebuilding. They're going to be bad. Hugh Jackson has made some bad calls. But stop blaming the GM. We knew what the roster was going to be like 
coming into this season. We knew they didn't have receivers or D-backs. And what's the problem right now? They're giving up a lot of passing yards, and they're not catching the ball. So why is this surprising? They started a rookie quarterback. They went through rookie problems. They finally got Miles Garrett back, and he gets two sacks in his first game. And he's going to be going up against a, a banged-up offensive line with Houston. So we're going to see the front seven, which has been really good against the run and is shown a lot of promise with the pass rushing, too. Like, there's no problem there. We are building a really good young front seven, which is looking great right now. The offensive line is good. Isaiah Crowell has sucked, okay? But that's fine because in running backs, you can replace them every year. We just don't have receivers. Our tight end is super young, and he's already got three touchdowns this year. You know, our quarterback, he has nobody to fucking throw to. And his head coach keeps on putting him in these impossible situations. You can't be asking him to roll out on third and goal and, and, and passing it into the middle of the teeth of the defense. Run the fucking ball. Or you keep on, you miss two kicks, then you're ready to kick the game-time field goal, you call a timeout, you go for it, then the Jets march down the field and score a touchdown, and it's game over. Like, it's not on one person. And that's what everyone's like, oh, you've got to burn it all down, start it all over. That's not how this is going to work. Trust me. I've watched too many Browns games and watched too many regimes come in and out. The biggest problem with the Browns is continuity. They give up too fast. If we fire Hugh Jackson, all it's going to do is put us back to the beginning. Now, we do have a ton of... And if we fire Sashi Brown, if we get rid of the whole front office, we're never going to be able to say it didn't work because we didn't give it the chance to work. It's my favorite thing about Jared Goff this year. They gave him a chance to win, right? In LA, they brought in an offensive-minded head coach. They brought in receivers, an offensive line, a run game. Their defense is already good. They surrounded Jared Goff and said, listen... We are going to protect you, put you in a chance to win. And guess what he's doing? He's winning. Carson Wentz is in a chance to win, and he's winning. Deshaun Watson, I know he's a rookie, and like he's looked awesome. right? He has like 10 touchdowns the last two games and like two turnovers. I get that he's looked awesome. He's in a position to win because he's got fucking good receivers. Like Deshaun Watson wouldn't be doing that if he was in Cleveland. Maybe they win the Jets game. I don't see them winning another game with Deshaun Watson at home over Deshaun Kaiser or Kevin Hogan. It's just not there because we don't set up our quarterbacks to win. Part of that is the fact that we're still rebuilding and we're not in a position to win. And the other part is our head coach has made some pretty bad mistakes. They just need to, they need to not listen to the media, whether that's me or... Matt Miller, or Mel Kuyper, or anyone at ESPN, or anyone at NFL Network, or Fox Sports. Can't be listening to Colin Cowherds. Can't be listening to even Mary Kay Cabot or Tony Grossi. You have to do what your plan was. Because if you fall off of the plan, you'll never know if it worked or not. Right? So Jimmy Haslam, if you're listening, which I know you're an avid listener of the Jake Podcast... You have to just see it through. They've been doing this strip it down, build with young players. They have the second most cap room in the league by like $2 million. They have 
the most picks in the league. They have the most top two round picks in the league. That's picks to come, not even picks on the roster. They have drafted guys that everyone was relatively high on. You know, some people were mixed on Jabril Peppers. Some people were mixed on Deshaun Kaiser. But the rest of the picks, you know, Howard Wilson, Larry Ogunjobi, Caleb Brantley, David Njoku, these were all good players. Oh, Miles Garrett, yeah, the de facto number one pick in the draft this year. He's played one game. He played about, I don't know, 16 snaps. Yeah, I mean, and, and he has two sacks. Like, he's the cornerstone of the defense. We just haven't seen him on the field yet. Now that we see him on the field, we're like, oh, shit, this guy who's nursing an ankle injury is still amazing. Like, let's not, let's not freak out. Everyone wants to panic. Everyone wants to, to just scratch it because it looks ugly. We knew it was going to look ugly. We thought it was going to be a lot better than last year. So far, it's not a lot better than last year. Um, I don't know if it's worse than last year. I don't think so because I'm seeing a lot of young players and I have things that I'm excited about. But the receivers are dropping passes. They're making a lot of mistakes. You started a rookie quarterback who was going to make rookie mistakes because that's what rookies do. And he didn't have receivers to bail him out or a running game to bail him out because the head coach doesn't call run plays. Notice we finally start running the ball against the Jets. And guess what? It was a tight game, and we lost late. I was like, maybe we should run the ball more. You know? What's the problem with that? We, we abandoned that too early. So Hugh Jackson, he needs a chance to evaluate himself and say, what do I need to do? Honestly, the, the biggest thing they need to do is get an offensive guy in there. Get an offensive coordinator. Hugh Jackson's putting too much on himself right now, too. It's wildly frustrating. It's always been frustrating to be a Browns fan. You know, one of my friends says he's a the Browns are a second favorite team, but that just that's just not possible because well, a I think the Browns are a second favorite team because he enjoys when they suck, which a lot of my friends enjoy when they suck, and it's like all right, well, you know, you, you enjoy seeing the low lights or how are they going to lose again this week? And it's like that doesn't make them your second favorite team. It makes them the team you look out for and say, ooh, what happened to them this week? That doesn't make them a second favorite team. The other thing is, if you don't put in all of the time and love and devotion that all these Browns fans do, it's not. It's just not the same. There are no fair-weathered Browns fans, because then you just wouldn't be a fan, because there's never fair weather. And that's not a Cleveland joke. It's, it's just how it is. The Browns are a rebuilding team. They're a bad football team. And everyone needs to understand that that is okay. That they're, that they're supposed to be bad because the plan is to strip it down and build from the bottom. And they're building right. They're doing a good job of building a team. And that's the thing that people aren't looking at. Like, I'm not trying to yell at guys like Matt Miller, but Matt Miller is like, what are they doing? Look at who they didn't grab. Look at who they could have had. Wentz would not, Wentz maybe would be doing good here. But give them a chance to use all these picks. You know, in the trade for Wentz, they got picks like Kaiser, the right tackle, Sean Coleman, the wide receiver, Corey Coleman. They still have a second round pick next year that they got. Then they did the trade downs with Houston. Like, it all started with this trade down from number two. They could have had Wentz. He would have had absolutely nothing around him, and he would have suffered big time. Instead, 
We drafted all of these other pieces that are eventually going to help the franchise quarterback. In an ideal world, that's Deshaun Kaiser. Maybe it's not him. Maybe it is. That's my most frustrating thing is I want to know at the end of this year whether or not we're building around Deshaun Kaiser or we're building around a future quarterback. Because this year's draft class is going to be filled with quarterbacks and we have to know whether or not the guy is going to be in there. And hey, a lot of people don't get it because this is a new thing. And Paul D. Podesta, the Browns draft strategist, is like, look, if we leave the draft every year with 12 players, we're more likely to hit on six good players than if we left the draft with six draft picks, right? Like, it's hard to go six for six on picks. It's easier to go six for 12. And not, a lot of people don't like that theory. But that's what they're doing right now. And then when they get these picks, they get these players to surround the team, they insert the quarterback, and then they're like, guess what? If you draft Carson Wentz next year, when he's got some receivers, when he's got a defense that can play for him, and he's not he's not built around guys like Carlos Dansby, who's got two years left, or Joe Hayden, who, by the way, Joe Hayden's been absolutely horrible for Pittsburgh. I love Joe Hayden, but for the people that were like, oh, what a typical Browns move to cut Joe Hayden. He's been awful, so shut up. Like, you're wrong. The Browns actually made a good move there because they're like, listen, he's not better than any of the cornerbacks we have. He's making too much money. Let's play the young guys. Let's see what they got. End of rant on Joe Hayden. But you have to understand, like, they knew they were going to be bad. They needed to play these young guys so that they know who they have and whether or not these guys that they've drafted are the future or not. Okay, I'm, I'm frustrated with the benching of Kaiser because I was ready to go through all the rookie mistakes. After every game this year, I was like, you know what? He's making rookie mistakes. But you know what the good thing is? He's got a fucking arm. He's got mobility. He's learning. You can see him learning. In the first game, he took a couple major hits from Pittsburgh. In the most recent two games, he's running out of bounds. He was getting rid of the ball a little bit faster. He still has a long way to go with that, but he was I could tell he was getting rid of it a little bit faster. And he was sliding earlier. Like he's he was avoiding a lot of hits. That's something that you don't always learn right away. And he was already learning that. So I liked that. He's got a cannon of an arm. He needs to learn to hone that in a little bit. I I'm not closing the book on Deshaun Kaiser. I think maybe he needs to sit on the bench for a week or two. I just really hope the national media, Twitter, and all the talking heads don't dictate what Jimmy Haslam's going to do in the Browns front office. I really hope that doesn't happen. <coughs> all right. So with the Browns, you know, they're going to have a bad season again. We already saw that. A lot of you said, oh, yeah, no duh, Jake. Like, that was always going to happen. Yeah, I, I know. I said the best case scenario was 6-10, and 10, and that was if Sean Kaiser came in and managed – but Hugh Jackson didn't really give him that opportunity, so six and ten is, a, is six and ten is not happening. The more likely record is one and fifteen again. Uh, I can see three and thirteen because there are a couple games on there like Chargers, uh, Bears aren't very good, uh, Vikings in London. I mean, London games can be a little crazy, especially if you know Diggs is hurt and Dalvin Cook's out. But that defense is good. There aren't many wins on the on the Indian or on the Browns schedule, but if we're willing 
to go through the tough times, which you should be, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. That's all I'm asking is see this plan through. Stop quitting early and then saying, oh, it didn't work when you didn't give it a chance. The cake isn't going to taste good if you don't bake it. Like you got to give it its chance. All right. So maybe people will understand now. Maybe if if you don't understand why the Browns are so bad, you have to listen to this podcast because I just explained why they've been bad. They never see it through and they quit too early. They fire their coach and then they bring in a new coach to deal with the rookie quarterback. This coach doesn't like the rookie quarterback. He's now had two bad years. Get rid of the quarterback. Bring in a new one. The quarterback's first year under that head coach. Then he sucks. That's two bad years for the head coach. Get rid of the head coach. It was the same thing for like a decade. Whether it was Eric Mangini or Pat Shermer or Chudzinski. It's just, it was a revolving door every time. And then it was, at quarterback was the same. Colt McCoy, Johnny Manziel, Seneca Wallace, Jake DeLone, Brandon Whedon, Jason Campbell, Brian Hoyer. We can go all day naming the starting quarterbacks. But the problem was... They never give, gave anyone a full chance. They gave some players a full chance, but they never gave a whole, the team as a whole a full chance. But look what they're doing. They stripped it down. They've got the picks, they've got the cap room, and they've got the youth on the team. Now it's time to just go position by position and get better. This year, this, this offseason, it's going to be D-backs, it's going to be receivers, a running back, and quarterback. Because they've got line, they've got tight ends, and they've got a front seven. Also, they would have won the Jets game if they could kick a field goal. Like, they lost by three. They missed two field goals. And they went for it on fourth. Didn't kick a field goal instead. And it was on the three-yard line. They also fumbled on the three-yard line because they called a pitch. An option pitch. And then they threw it into traffic. That was on Kaiser. But the play call was on Hugh Jackson. Anyway, that was my Browns rant. There's going to be a bad season. But you know what? I'm I'm just willing to I'm willing to go through the bumps because I'm used to it by now. I was gonna do an NBA preview. I'm uh, a little bit sour with my teams right now, so I don't really want to fully get into it. Plus, the NBA, I mean, the off season's more exciting than the regular season. I think it's gonna be a kind of boring season. I think the Cavaliers are gonna go through the motions a lot, and then when it comes time to the playoffs, it's gonna matter how healthy they are. I still think they're the best team in the East. I think the, the the Celtics lost a lot with their deals. Uh, I think Avery Bradley's a big loss for them. I know that their young guys, like uh, Brown's going to be better this year. Jason Tatum's going to be good. Hayward's really good. And Kyrie, obviously, is an all-star. But, you know, this I still don't think they are going to beat the Cavaliers. I don't think LeBron will let that happen. And in the West, I really, don't really see anyone, you know, beating the Warriors. So I see Warriors-Cavs part four. That's my NBA prediction this year. And uh, depending upon how things go, we'll see who wins the finals. Because uh, the Warriors have had an incredible streak of health the last couple years. We'll see if that holds up. The Cavaliers, you know, LeBron's always been really healthy, knock on wood. And uh, I think this is going to be like a redemption year for him. Uh, Last year was kind of just like a circus because they had won and no one really knew how to handle that. But... This year we'll see. We'll see how the what their approach is like. And with with I, I and okay, let's talk Celtics Cavs for one second here. 
because what happens? All right, Kyrie gets he doesn't want to be around. He asks for a trade. He gets traded. It's over. It's fine. Like like we are accepting of that. Except he like continues to troll, and that's what every everyone has to realize. Kyrie's a troll. Okay, he doesn't believe the Earth is flat. He did it to troll people. I mean, he's not an idiot. He just said it because. He, he likes to think outside the box and he liked to have fun. And he was on a fucking podcast during the All-Star break. Like, on on the Cavaliers, who are a really loose situation. Everyone goes there and it's like they have friends around. They're doing podcasts on planes. Like, it's a very loose situation in Cleveland. Okay? And Kyrie, he leaves. And, of course, on the day that the Indians give up Game 5 and, and the collapse... The Browns bench Kaiser and everyone comes out of the woodworks to rip the Browns again. The same day, Kyrie, the Kluber, Kaiser, Kyrie day. Kyrie comes out and says, wow, just walking around, you can feel Boston is a real sports city coming from the Midwest. It's like, man, that's just a a sign of a guy who just didn't get it in Cleveland. Or he did, and he just didn't like it there, which is fine. But Cleveland's a real sports city because they really give a shit about their team. I mean... Almost 2 million people showed up at the parade, but he doesn't feel like it's a sports city. He's going to get a rude awakening when he realizes the winters there are just as cold. And if you lose three games in a row, or you start to play bad, or you have to nurse an ankle injury, which you always do, Kyrie, because you get hurt sometimes, the city's going to turn on you. They're going to yell at you, and you're going to hear some racist shit. Like, that's going to be there. That's what Boston is. I, I hope you enjoy it there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't re-sign there in two years. He probably will because he'll get a boatload of money and they have the flexibility to build a young roster around him. The Boston's done it really well, but I mean, Kyrie, like, you're going to get a rude awakening and LeBron is going to stick it to you guys. Like, if if I know anything about the NBA, and that's not my specialty or my forte, but it's don't LeBron, don't doubt LeBron. And I think we're a week away from the opener of Celtics Cavs. That'll be interesting. Uh, there's a little report that LeBron might not play. There's absolutely no fucking way LeBron won't play. He will play. He is going to be on a mission to stick it to Boston. And with everything that Kyrie says, kind of dissing Cleveland or just throwing shade our way, it's only going to intense the, increase the fire a little bit more. Boston's the clear number two team in the conference, but they're not the number one. Cavs are until until LeBron leaves. And you know what? <coughs> Maybe LeBron won't leave. I'm praying for OKC to hold on to all their guys. If they keep Melo and Paul George, or even just Paul George, you keep Paul George with Russell Westbrook there, all of a sudden LA is not that golden of a situation. And maybe, you know what? Maybe LeBron does want to go and deal with the diva drama-ness of the Ball family. I don't think so. I think LeBron likes to be the center of the attention. And the Balls take that away from him. Especially a guy who, you know, he was calling out LeVar Ball to keep my kids out your mouth and all that. And and it's obviously obvious that they don't like each other. So something's going to have to change for him to go to the Lakers. And there's no fucking way he's going to the Clippers. He even said that. So... We'll see. He wants to retire a Cavalier, or that's what he's saying. Don't be surprised if he re-ups for another year, or like a three-year deal or something. Like, they're building around him. They have this Brooklyn pick, too. 
Like they, it's not a great way to build for the future because it's, you know, they have a brand new GM, Kobe Altman, who did a great job of getting something for Kyrie there. And compared to what Paul George and Carmelo Anthony got traded for, Kyrie got traded for gold. And we'll see. The, the Cavaliers right now have a 20-man roster. I don't know how they're going to cut it down to like 12 guys that are going to play. They're going to deal. That Brooklyn pick, plus Amon Shumpert, and like RJ and Channing Fry. they're going to find a, four of those bench pieces in that Brooklyn pick and turn it into a good player. Maybe it's Boogie Cousins. I don't know. But who knows. Anyway, it's a bit of a rant episode. I kind of thought it was going to be a tight 30 minutes. Right now we're approaching 45 because I wanted to talk about each Cleveland team. Uh, my friend Drew D'Amico is going to help me get on iTunes real soon. Uh, I know I'm a little behind on that, and I said in August that I was going to go for it, and now it's October, but it's been busy recently. I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, it's another another tough week on the Jake, very tough. Probably the toughest week sports-wise since I've had my podcast. Episode 25, the Jim Tomei episode. My favorite player of all time. Thanks again for listening. Come back next week. Peace.